morning again. Let's pray. Father, we claim to be people of the book. We claim as believers to be observers of the book, to live by the book, to see as our final authority in all faith and practice. You've given us one book, and it is important to us. It's precious to us. The world doesn't understand that. Much of the world knows nothing about this book. But we gain everything from it. And yet we struggle in this world because of sin, because of the fact that we're broken and this world is broken. And although you've saved those of us who know you, we still struggle with this world in which we live. But what a glorious truth to know that you are the only but the great comforter our Creator and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray for these few moments together. In Jesus' name, amen. It was just June 6th that I was up here, so it hasn't been that long. And, and I, because it was the 77th uh, anniversary of D-Day, uh, weeks before that I started thinking about the war and about Hitler and about He's probably the personification of, of evil of any of us that are very old would know about. So I thought about, and I shared about the great, the, the, the real enemy. The real enemy, of course, being Satan. He's, he's behind everything wrong, everything negative, everything sinful, everything just we find distasteful. He is behind it all. So I thought, why not go to the opposite end, 180 degrees, and talk about the great comforter, our Lord and Savior and our Creator. These are some words that we attach to our God and Savior, Creator, Savior, Helper, Protector, Defender, Counselor, Redeemer. And it's sad to think, but some Germans and some people in other nations during the wartime early on had attached these kind of words to Hitler, thinking he was their defender, protector, helper, as a savior, the redeemer. From he was going to redeem Germany. We see, we saw the results of that. But this great comforter we have is so different. We see it played out beautifully in what I'm going to share today: a Bible story in the New Testament. Paul writes to a person, Philemon. He wrote to one other person, too. Usually it was to churches, but he wrote to Titus. But he told Titus to go throughout Crete to all the churches we established and appoint elders. So he gave him specific duties to do, but it was also going to be read in those churches, that particular book. But this was really specifically written to a man, Philemon, way back in Colossae. About the same time that he wrote the the letter to the Colossians. They probably went at the same time. But Paul's in prison in Rome. And it says in the first three verses, let me read those for you. Paul, a prisoner for for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, 
and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A very typical introduction for Paul, but he mentions a couple. Aphia may, be, may have been his wife, and they, there's different thoughts on Archippus. He could have been a son or the pastor of that church or, or an elder, or but he was important. He's mentioned very specifically in Colossians 4.17. But the interesting thing is it says the church in your house. So Philemon was a wealthy man, had a fairly large house. Houses weren't that big in those days, so having a church meeting in your house was was really interesting. So, uh, And it could have been that Paul actually led Philemon to the Lord. But the, the, what has taken place here is so interesting. Uh, a slave of Philemon's has left him, snuck out in the night. He might have stolen from him in order to have some money also to get away. We don't know that for sure. But the interesting thing is that he traveled thir- about 1,300 miles. Now, it wasn't by interstate or by airplane. So it probably took him a good while. So isn't it interesting to think, why did he go to Rome? He went to Rome. He, he found Paul. Now, he may have known of Paul when Paul was through there before, maybe when Paul was sharing with Philemon and the whole family and the whole area. Maybe Onesimus was really intrigued with Paul. Or maybe, being a slave, he didn't even know him or see him. But somehow, God in his sovereignty that we always talk about brought these two together, and it's so interesting to see how this works out. Uh, God leads him to Rome, like I said, thir- about 1,300 miles. Uh, he finds Paul, hears the gospel, becomes a believer. He tells Paul all that he had done. So Paul is made aware of what's happened here. So he's, Paul decides to start his letter. Listen to verses 4 through 7. I want you to take note. Paul is probably one of the most persuasive people, brilliant people, smart people. Remember, he was a Jew of Jews. He was top of his class. He was he was very forceful, very learned. And, of course, God turned all that around on the road to Damascus and made him uh, the same intensity toward loving the Christ that he so... Uh, uh, was against. But listen to how Paul writes this letter. See if you would be persuaded. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. How would you like for someone to write you a letter and say that about you? That's pretty special. He's really telling Philemon how special he is. But I think he's wanting him to especially concentrate on this part where it says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. I think what he's going to share with Philemon right now is a chance to intensify that full knowledge, that being effective, because he has a request of him. Um, um, 
in verse 6 especially, I said that. Um, he said, I have a challenge for you. Stretch your faith, your love, your generosity, and service to Christ. In verse 7, he says, I, I, just, I just had this question about us. Do we ever need refreshing? Mm, yes, we do. We often need refreshing. This world is its obvious as believers. When we come to this book, one of the first things we, if we're, if we're, Older, you know, some some of you came to Christ at four, five, six years of age, slowly grew in the faith. Uh, that's so special. But I was 22, and one of the sudden thoughts that really came to me as I got into the Bible more was, uh, this place I'm living isn't my home. This book is telling me that there is... A, and I knew of heaven. We grew up in, I grew up in church, and I knew those things, but it never meant anything to me until I became a believer and realized we're just passing through this, and it was good that this earth wasn't our home. It's a, it's a tough place. It's a hard place. All of you know that. We see it just recently in what we thought we were through with the COVID stuff. It comes back in with one more, one more at bat and knocks a number of us in the head. We, Justin's been quite sick and some other ones and they go to a camp church camp and they they bring that back not knowing they were going to bring it back they go to honor the lord and do those kinds of things and and uh have that happen so those are just this is just one type of thing that comes into our lives we have we just there's just so many things that give us a hard time but um he just wanted to challenge him and we know that we need refreshing Paul is good at this. I want to read to you three entrances to three different books. Paul is so good at the way he writes. Um, first of all, I'm sorry. I, I should have read this. One thing that Christ said when he was um, uh, beginning his ministries and so forth was the same kind of thing that uh, Paul is writing here. In Matthew chapter 11, you don't have to go there, 28 through 30, I'll read it for you. This is a very comforting for us. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We've read that probably a number of times, but when we read that, it hits us where we are. All of us, as humans on this world, as we grow up and we you know, go through those adolescent years, we begin to take hold of it. And as adults, we want peace, we want joy, we want contentment or comfort. Those are the three things everybody's searching for. And the people today, there's a number of ways in which they're, they're searching for them. By screaming, by yelling, by being quiet. All kinds of ways. We see people out there. We see them on the news. They're really searching for those things, but they're searching for them in a way other than what we find in the book. So it's quite interesting. But listen to these three ways in which Paul introduces these letters to the Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Ephesians 1, 17 through 18. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance 
in the saints. Philippians 1.9 And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. Colossians 1.9 And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's always unique to reflect back and think of the Paul before. I do this all the time. I find myself doing this all the time. I'm sure Paige does it as he's, as he's teaching through Romans. There's so much of Paul there and just so much there. You reflect back to what he was before and what he, what he is now in the Scriptures. What a perfect picture God has granted us to see what happens to us too. Maybe not as dramatic, but what a change comes to people when they come to Christ. Um, so in verses 8 through 16, let's go on with the, uh, the story. Um, accordingly, okay, this is where Paul, I want you to pay close attention to Paul's uniqueness in how he approaches this. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I'm going to stop right there for a second. Made me think of parenting. Uh, sometimes we might have said to our children, now, I can get bored out, and I can encourage you that way to do what I just told you to do and you don't want to do. Or I can appeal to you through love that your love for me, my love for you, you will do as I have asked without me having to get the board out. Uh, We had to do that a few times. Uh, Andy even occasionally remembers those. But here's Paul saying, I could command you to do this, but I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to ask you, appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, I think he's using that too, and a prisoner for Christ, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might be not be by compulsion but of your own free will. For this perhaps is why he has parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Isn't that kind of persuasive? It's what intensity. He's being intense and writing a letter that made it into our Bible. There's all kinds of... Remember what John said? If everything were put into book form and given to you that Jesus said or did, uh, the world couldn't hold the books. We'd have so much. But this letter, 25 verses it was divided into, to a man was put in here. So it must be extremely important. But it's about a slave. Okay, we were slaves to sin, weren't we? Okay. And he's a runaway, probably a thief. He probably took some things to to help him along the way. So why would Paul concern himself with this slave when there's so many other people in Rome to deal with? 
Uh, I remember, if you've seen the movie The Hiding Place, you remember early on when the Germans came into Holland and and uh, uh, they were just beginning to clamp down on everybody, taking radios, all that kind of stuff. Uh, in the movie, one German soldier asked Corey one day, they saw her, she had a rope tied with children holding onto the rope. And you could tell some had Down syndrome, some may have, whatever reasons they were, they were mentally, physically challenged children. There were seven or eight of them. And he said, who are these? And uh, uh, she explained it. And he was re- really perplexed. And another German later said, wouldn't it be better to share with one, one regular person than these half-wits? And she very clearly said, in God's eyes, one of these may be important than all of us. So she was trying to put in perspective what we know the book says. It didn't register with him because he didn't know the book and he didn't know the writer of the book. So he is important. The slave is important. Verses 8 and 9, he said, I could command you, but I'm, I want you for love's sake to do this. In verse 10, this whole, this whole thing changes. When this man came here and came to me, now he may have came, he may have come and said, I need to speak to the man called Paul. Do you remember me two years ago when you were in Colossae or four years or whenever it was? I am a slave to Philemon, and this is what has happened to me, and I'm, I'm fearful of it. I've come 1,300 miles to get away from it. My goodness, I can't imagine that in those days. But Paul, it was so gracious, they went from prisoner and slave to father and son. Isn't that a great transition? In the Lord, what a great transition. Uh, verse 11, it, it's interesting. Onesimus was a, a common name for slaves in those days. I didn't know that until I started doing some research. It means useful. Uh, these slaves are useful, so we'll call him Onesimus. So that's what his name was. And it's interesting. He said he, he was useless to you because he left, but now he has become useful. How, how sweet that is. Verse 12, I'm sending him back to you. He's sending him back so that Philemon can do the right things. So Onesimus is willingly going back to the man he ran from. He, w- he was running from him. Now with a change of heart, he's going to go back. Paul's great compassion has changed uh, everything. Remember before the road to Damascus, he was so compassionate about destroying Christians. Now he's so compassionate about leading them to, to the Savior. Um, verse 13 says you'll be glad to, you'll be glad to keep him. And 14, Onesimus. Now his new beliefs lead to behavior, uh, as Nate taught us this morning. Uh, your beliefs lead to your behavior. So his beliefs now are saying, okay, whatever comes, I'm going to I'm going to go back to Philemon and take whatever comes my way. But there's some interesting things still to come, verses 17 through 22. Let's look at those, and this will be it for today. So if you consider me your partner, he's, Paul's uh, uh, using another interesting way of sharing this. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, 
charge that to my account. Hmm. Pretty interesting. I, Paul, write this in my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am coming. That through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. So the ending results are I'm sending back to you. Uh, we're, we're brothers, we're partners in Christ. Treat Onesimus as you would me. I will repay the debt he owes. What's that sound like? Paul had no reason to pay Philemon anything, but he's doing it for someone else. It's exactly the picture of our salvation. We owe God everything and cannot pay it. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough of anything. We can't even begin to think about doing that. But because Christ said, I will do it, those of us who know him can become believers. Paul, though in prison, said, I will repay the debt. He said, even though you owe me, he didn't mention it again, did he? He slipped it in one time. Now, remember, Philemon, you owe me, buddy. You owe me. I shared the gospel with you. You became a believer. Well, at least we think that's the way it occurred. So he's not twisting his arm, but he's giving him every every possible reason why he should be very confident to have him back. So he said he has a lot of confidence in the request. Prepare a room for I'm coming. And they think he was the first time he was released that he did. There's a good chance he did, he did make it back to Colossae. It's interesting. What what do you think the um, the meeting again when Onesimus? I don't know how long it'll take to go thirteen hundred miles on foot and, and one one route. I, I put it into the Google course. He didn't have that, but I put it in there and it had one route going course by land all the way up and down through the boot to Rome, but the other one was going over and taking the short ride across the sea there. Uh, I don't know which way he went, but it would have taken a good bit of time. And him being a slave and not having any identification and no rights whatsoever, he had to always be dodging uh, crowds or people or authorities or whatever. So he went back. What was it like when he walked back up through the main gate of that beautiful home probably and saw Philemon for the first time? It could have been very much like the prodigal son returning. Uh, Philemon may have been so moved. I don't know that the letter got there beforehand or got there with him. But anyway, it, it would have been interesting to see that. Uh, but what an example of God's goodness to us as believers. Uh, you know, there were a few people in World War II. There were, there were a number of believers in Germany that didn't fall prey to uh, Hitler's uh, rhetoric. Um, we know of a number of pastors. There's one that is a hero of mine. I've talked about him before, and others have. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, he fought very hardly, very heartily to, to let people know, we can't do this. We can't follow this. This is not right. This is not good. Um, and, of course, 
about three weeks before Hitler took his own life, but one of the last, if not the last, order he gave was those last few conspirators to be uh, executed. And, of course, Dietrich was one of those. But So there were people that didn't, but the, the lying share. If you've seen actual film, there's a lot of film now that you can see, actual film. What gets me, what amazes me about it are the women. I can see guys being charged up. World War, World War One put us under the thumb of the rest of the world. They, they're making us like we have no life. We've got no hope. So the men, I can see them saying, we're going to get back what's ours. That pride that, you know, that Wally could tell us about that. But the women, if you see the film, the the, the amazing energy they put in as he would walk by, the signs and the... It almost looked like every, so many of them would have fallen before him if he'd have turned and said, would you marry me? They'd have just done it by the hundreds, by the thousands. They were so much enthralled with this man. How do we do that as humans? We know how we do it. In the broken state, we're all capable of that. Many of them probably later thought, the ones that lived through it all, especially the ones that came to Christ. How did we fall so far with that? Just a real quick conclusion. No birth is more important than another, and none are unimportant to the Lord. The abortion industry is maybe not as strong as it once was in America. It is the one area that America hasn't followed behind Canada and Western Europe like we've seemed to follow so closely behind them in so many things, but not in that. There's still a strong understanding in this country, even by many unbelievers saying there's something precious about birth. So when Onesimus was born, it wasn't an unimportant birth, nor was any child. God makes no mistakes, none. Although we're seeing many people today decide that how I am now is not what I want to be. Um, And it's not. We're not finding fault with people who make poor decisions on those kinds of things. As broken people, what are we left with? But those kinds of things. So important, it's so important for us to constantly check and update our biblical worldview. Folks, we have got to be people of the word. Even when something read seems to be so foreign to modern, this modern world that we live in. And that's why the Judeo-Christian ethic, the scriptures are being trashed by so many. That's an outdated myth. Those are old wives tales. They're for a time gone past. We've, hey, we've gone, we've evolved past that. We're, we don't need those things anymore. Uh, we can do things ourselves. We can make this world right ourselves. We know that's not true. We know that's not true. So we need to constantly be in the Word and update our biblical worldview, know what's going on. With this, this class we've been going through on Sunday nights, The Gathering Storm by Al Mohler, uh, he's just a man like anyone else, but he's an insightful believer. 
and he's put a lot of chapters in there dealing with different areas of our lives. This, we're struggling to get through the class because of, well, summertime is difficult with, with so many things in this COVID and so forth, but our class will be over in, a few, in very few weeks, but I believe we need to do it again and again till we all have had a chance to, to go through that, to see this world as it is uh, from some people's perspective. Not that many, but from some people. So we really need to be people of the books. I just want to encourage you in that. So um, I thought this was a great story. And my wife's the one that turned me on to that, that one verse. She just kept telling me about it and, and she, how she got into Philemon. I don't know. How many times, how many times do you get into Philemon? I mean, he's just there one little page. You know, the third smallest book by n- number of words in the, the scriptures, but. I thought it would be very appropriate after what I did in early June to now to, to talk about the great comforter, the great relationship between those two men and how Onesimus now can go back and not go further away from Philemon. He may have been thinking, I might have to go all the way to England or somewhere else and make sure I get away from this man. Uh, but that didn't take place, did it? Well, thank you for listening. Let's pray. Father... Uh, we do pray so much for those who would enjoy being here, normally be here, but because uh, another wave of COVID has come into our our church family, uh, it's it's just been difficult, and so it's, some have been pretty sick. So we do pray so much for their recovery, and uh, we just pray for our church family. Uh, that we would always be strong, be people of the word, not add to it at all, but never take away from it, to lovingly, lovingly confront this world in a loving way, just like Paul said, my, your, my love, I want you to do these things right for Onesimus because of our shared love in Christ. Love should always be the thing that drives us to share the gospel with someone, not to find fault with them, not to accuse them, but to have them see in their own minds, to be laid open in their own minds and hearts who they are without you. Lord, someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, but they don't want to wait till then. Help us to be about your business. Help us to be in your book. Help us to love and serve one another and to care for one another and understand that you are the great comforter. How precious that is. Bless those who would enjoy being here today but could not. Bless the preaching of your word that will go out throughout the entire world today. In languages, so many languages, we would not begin to understand. Uh, the word for God, we might would pick up in a few, a few languages that are very similar to ours. But most of them we wouldn't even know when they've said the word God uh, or Christ. Uh, It's amazing. But we are one family. And what a precious family that is. I I thought about this recently. That what if there was a huge plain, flat plain that stretched out for hundreds of miles. And one small peak right in the middle where Jesus would stand. And every believer 
could be trained today, could be transported there. As we are right now, we're all standing together, ready to worship and honor our Savior. As we looked around, we would see clothing of every color, every make, every style, and some we've never seen. Every color from the whitest of white to the blackest of black in people. Every kind of language we could even imagine. And know that the only thing that could bring us all together is an understanding and acceptance and coming to one Jewish man who died for us 2,000 years ago. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What a glorious thing that will be someday. Thank you for the chance to share with my church family. We pray your blessing on us as we go this day. May you be honored in Jesus' name.